Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today I'll be reading from Luke 15, 1 through 3, and 11 through, 11 through 16. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning as we are continuing in a series that we began last week in Luke on the parable of the prodigal sons from Luke chapter 15. Now, we're focusing, it could be about a thousand things, uh, this one parable, but we're focusing on what it teaches us about the concept of belonging. That's what our series is called, belonging, belonging to God and to one another. What does it mean to know that you really belong to him? What does that entail? What does it look like when that's actually not true of us in our hearts and we feel like we don't belong? So we're going to spend the weeks between now and Easter just sitting, living in this parable and the picture that it gives us of what it means to belong to God so that in a time when we might easily wonder uh, as a church, as individuals, what is our identity? What's our purpose? Really, it's going to be a time when we can feel, again, continually disconnected, despairing, divided. And so in that time, I want us to think about what does it look like to know that you belong, that you belong to God, that you belong here, that there is a place for you in his house. So last week, we introduced ourselves to the parable as a whole and saw how we all play actually both roles, both the younger son and the older son do things that we all do at different times. We talked about how both of those sons are really not receiving belonging from the Father, from God, but they're shopping. They're looking for a way to buy what they need, to buy identity, uh, significance, purpose, security, a sense of meaningfulness and value through some kind of acts of their own. And then in one way or another, we all do these things throughout our lives. But today we're going to focus not on the parable as a whole, not on both sons, but on the younger son in these verses here, 11 through 16 in particular. As we may recall from last week, the younger son represents one of those three groups that start out the beginning of the parable. There are the sinners and tax collectors who are coming to Jesus. There are the, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious elites the rule followers of their day, and then there's Jesus. And it's the younger son who represents that first group, the sinners and tax collectors, those who have visibly, by the standards of the community, walked away from God, 
who have been trying to find belonging somewhere other than with him. So we're going to look at what that looks like. What does it look like to try and find belonging somewhere other than with God so that we can understand the ways that we do those same things? Uh, I'm going to start pulling in through the rest of these series here references to a book by someone named Henry Nouwen, who was uh, a priest some years ago, his book called Return of the Prodigal Son. It's an extended reflection on this parable, as well as one of Rembrandt's paintings about the parable itself. It's a super insightful book. I'd recommend it to you. Uh, But he's going to help us unpack some of what these things look like. So I want to explore what the younger son's leaving shows us about ourselves with help from Henry now, and by looking at four things. First, what it means to leave in verses 12 through 13. Second, why we leave in verse 13. Third, what happens when we leave in verses 14 to 16. And finally, why does the father let the younger son leave? So what does it mean to leave? Why do we do it? What happens when we do? And why would the father let this happen at all? But before we get into that, I invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. Let's invite the Lord to fill up our time as we open his word together. God, thank you that you invite us to call you Father, to call you even Dad, Daddy, to have that personal connection with the King and ruler of the universe, the Ancient of Days who has no beginning and no end, that you would want to relate to us personally like a parent to a child to invite us in, to climb up in your lap, to rest our head on your shoulder. And yet, God, you know there are a thousand ways we're afraid that that could never be true, that we don't belong there, that you don't want us there, that there's no way there. And so, God, we pray that you would bridge the divide in our hearts this morning between where you would have us be and where we think we could never be where we don't want to be, the ways that we are running away from you, God, is the, is the offertory song saying, would you chase us down, God? Would you go out to us? If we are that one lost, would you come and find us and carry us home? Would you do that for us this morning? For we are all in some way, shape, or form lost, and we need to be found. So would you find us by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, have your Bibles open if you have them this morning, uh, or feel free to have an app, or there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. We're going to go back through the text a little bit together, and we'll start at looking at what does it really mean to leave? What is it for this younger son to go out? What's actually happening here? Uh, Verses 12 and 13 clue us into these things to, to understand the essence of what it means for us to go shopping for belonging somewhere else. Uh, I'm going to say that it involves really two fundamental things. It involves both wanting and rejecting. Whenever we are looking for belonging apart from God, that, as we talked about last week, that innate God-given desire to find fulfillment in something larger than us, whenever we're looking for that apart from God, there is always going to be involved in that a wanting and a rejecting. So first I want to talk about the wanting side of this, because clearly the younger son wants something. He wants what that far country, as the text says, has to offer. He wants something other than what his home seems to be able to offer him. 
And what that thing is that this other place offers, if we look at verse 13, and if you were also to scan down to verse 30, when the older son talks about what it is the younger son did in this faraway place, it's that he wants to go and live someplace. What this this country offers is an ability to, to take your money, to take your life, and live without any kind of limits or cautions or morals. That's a pretty modern place, if you think about it. Right? A lot of Western society is built on those same kinds of things. Get as much money as you can, do whatever you can, as often as you can, as much as you want to. He wants to live in America, right? In a far off country, a place that is about those things. He wants their way of life, their experiences, their rules and the, their values. They are not the values of his home. And he longs to be in that place so desperately. You can tell that he wants this so much because of what he does to get there. Last week, we talked about how this request that he makes of the father is a ridiculous, unheard of, disrespectful, hateful request. It's, it's asking for something property. You could translate it as inheritance. An inheritance is something that you only get when someone has died. So he wants what would come to him if the father was dead. He's saying, I don't care if you die. In fact, I'd be willing to kill you in some ways to get your money, right? He does this unthinkable thing in his society and his culture to be able to get the money he needs to go to the place that he wants to go. He doesn't work. He doesn't save. He's not borrowing money. Maybe he's thought about all those things. He's tried all those things. He is going to do whatever it takes to get to that place to have those experiences, to have that kind of limitless life. It eclipses everything else for him. Any kind of family relationships, any kind of ethos or connection or worldview, this is the one thing that is fixated for him in his mind. So leaving home with God, when we look at this younger son and what he's about, is about wanting, desperately wanting something where you feel like you're alive where you feel like you're finally flourishing and free. You're wanting to have that, that identity, that dignity, significance, purpose, authenticity fulfilled in all the ways that your heart is clamoring for that you think you just can't have at home with God. That's what leaving is about. That's what walking away from God is about. And maybe you felt that before. Maybe you felt that yesterday. <laughs> Maybe you felt that on your way to church this morning, that deep desire for something other than God, more than God. Leaving is about wanting. But it's more than just wanting. It's also about rejecting. Henry Nouwen in that book I mentioned, Return of the Prodigal Son, helps us see this when he says, when Luke writes and left for a distant country, he indicates much more than a desire of a young man to see more of the world. He speaks about a drastic cutting loose from the way of living, thinking, and acting that has been handed down to him from generation to generation. More than disrespect, it is a betrayal of the treasured values of family and community. The distant country is the world in which everything considered holy at home is disregarded. 
In other words, now it says the son's request is not just desire. It's not just I want something. It's not just disrespect. It's not just hate of his father. It's a wholesale rejection of the way of life that his father and that community represents. He's, re he's rejecting uh, the way of life of that community where people would say, this is how we treat each other. From generation to generation, this is how we care for each other. This is what community life like, looks like. This is what it means to respect one another, to, to see each other with value, to invite each other in. This is how we flourish. This is what fulfillment looks like. He says, all of that, no. I don't care if I see it again. I'm going out there. It's rejecting relationships. Again, if he wants the father's inheritance, he wants the father dead or doesn't care if he dies. That's cutting off one of your most fundamental relationships, rejecting that connection. It seems he probably doesn't care about seeing his brother either. There's no sense in which he misses him or couldn't stand to be with him or even invites him to come along. He's rejecting his community, the people who shaped him, the people who raised him, life was drastically more communal in this ancient society than our Western individualist society, where you, you were a part of the fabric of community, that you had a place and a significance with these people. They meant something to you. You meant something to them. They knew you from before you were born to that very moment. People who would be pained and shocked at your choices. He's rejecting them too. The younger son shows us in this, this drastic cutting loose, as Nouwen says, that part of, of leaving the belonging, the home that we have with God is an intentional rejection of what you have for the chance, just the chance of getting what you want. We intentionally reject what we know, what is made available to us for the chance at getting what our heart just so deeply desires, that we are willing to take that chance. We are willing to throw it all to the side. It's not just that we want something other than God, it's also that we reject home with God. We're saying, I don't want those things. That's what we do when we walk away from God in sin. It's not just that I desire something else, it's that I don't want you. I don't want to be with you. See, sin is fundamentally about a brokenness in relationship. It was in the garden. It is today. It's telling God, I don't want to be with you. I'd rather be somewhere else. Or I don't want relationship with you. I want something out of this relationship with you. I want your stuff. It's a brokenness in our relationship to God. And Jesus is requiring us through telling this parable to acknowledge that looking for belonging somewhere else, looking for significance, purpose, security, fulfillments, looking for all those things somewhere else isn't just following your heart. It is not just a neutral act. Our pluralistic society that says, choose what you choose, I choose what I choose, there's no wrong, there's no comparing, there just is. It's helping us see that maybe that's not true. Maybe that what I'm choosing is a rejecting of something else, is a walking away from the fabric of something else. Because we were given a home with God. That's what earth is. That's what our relationship with God was meant to be in the beginning, to have a home with him, to have relationship with him. It was offered to us freely. But like Adam and Eve, we have chosen something else. 
We, out of fear, shame, deception, have rejected what's already ours to just have a chance at what we hope could be ours, but it may never be. Jesus is saying through the younger son, this is what our leaving to find new belonging apart from God is about. Desiring, yes, but also rejecting. And we have to look these things in the eye. We have to acknowledge that this is what our leaving is about. This is what we are doing in these things. To walk away from something first as we chase something else. You have to leave the home that you are offered that's what leaving looks like. But why? Why would we do that? Why did Adam and Eve do that? Why would we walk away from what is so freely offered to us? Let's look at verse 13 a little more in depth to think about our second point here, why we leave. Henry Nouwen says, and the younger son shows us, that we do this because we follow other louder voices than the gentle, caring voice of God, of the Father. Now it says we start to follow not, not the assuring, subtle, gracious voice of God, which speaks unchanging love and affirmation over us forever and ever. We don't follow that voice. We stop listening to that voice, to listen to voices that instead do three things to us. They play on our deepest fears, they deceive us, and they shame us. This is why we leave. We start to listen not to the quiet, assuring voice of God that takes stillness and practice and patience to hear, but to the loudspeaker, blaring voices that are shouting at us, demanding to be heard day in and day out, that do things that God would never do to us. They play on our fears that we are not good enough. They say you don't belong here. You don't have a home here. Why would you think that? You may never have a home. You better get to work. You better go out and make one. You better go out and find one. They say things like love, acceptance, belonging. Those are never free gifts. You don't just receive those. You work for those things. So, so how can you be sure that you would get them? What are you doing to make sure that you would have them? We are afraid that we don't have something that we need, that, that we'll lose maybe the belonging that we have, that it's fragile, that it's, that it's not something that we can actually say that we have now. It plays on our fears that we're not enough. We also listen to voices that just deceive us in those things. We, we accept their premise without even thinking about it. We hear, you don't have this and you need it. And we think, oh my goodness, I don't have that. And I need it. Commercials do this all the time. You don't have this thing. Look at how happy these people are with this shampoo. Couldn't that be you? You think, my shampoo doesn't do that. I must be in need. My life is lacking, right? It, 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 it can be something that we do in, in small, lighthearted ways, but really we listen to these voices in a much deeper place. They get us to believe that we're lacking something that not just we want, but we really feel like we need. When with God, Scripture says you are never lacking what you need. We might and are certainly going to be lacking what we want. But the Psalms say it. I will lack no good thing. 
with you. They get us to think that we're lacking something that we need or that they say that, that you can't wait for that, that sure, God's going to provide it, but can you really hold out that long? Or you can't just receive it from God. God's waiting for you to get the wheels going, to get the wheels turning. You can't just wait around. You can't trust God to give it at the right time or in the right way or when you really need it. You have to look out for yourself because God is never going to look out for you. You might say, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't listen to that voice. But really, I think we've all heard those voices and we've said, yeah, I am afraid of that. I do think that's possible. In other words, they tell us, as now and says, to leave the only place where we can hear that voice of God's unchanging love and affection and care, that place where I really have all I need, and go off desperately hoping that I would find somewhere else what I can no longer find at home. It tells me that home isn't a home anymore, so I better go find one. It tells us to leave that one place where we have what we need in order to find what we need. It's misdirection. It's guaranteeing that by hiding the place where you need to be, you will never find it. By continuing to look everywhere except that one place, which is home with God. They don't just deceive us, these voices, but they also, we've already heard this subtly in these things, they accuse and shame us. They tell us to go out and improve ourselves. Make something of yourself. You're not something yet. Improve yourself. Do more. Produce better things. Make better art. Have a better career. Do better in school. Once you get to that point. But right now, mm -mm, no. Right now, you're not smart enough. You're not likable enough. You're not kind enough. You're not generous enough. You're not fit enough. You're not strong enough. You're not pretty enough. It says you're not good enough. You need to do more to belong. Anyone familiar with that voice? That is a daily voice for me. I got one witness over here. Thank you, Laura. I got a witness in the back. I hear that voice all the time. You need to do more. You don't belong here right now. Or if you do, you better keep it up because the second you stop, no more belonging for you. Instead of telling you what God tells you, which is just how much you are worth, how valuable you are, that you, as you are, are made in the image of God, have inherent dignity and value just by being human and alive. They make us feel less than worthy. These are the voices that lead us and the younger son to leave what we have with God through their playing on our fears, through their deceiving us, their, their, their playing on accusing and shame. And we see the younger son answer the call of these voices in that allure of the far country in verse 13. That allure of the far country is to come and find the life that you don't have right now. You're going to need to get some money to get it because as you are right now, this life isn't for you. But clearly you're lacking it. Come to this place where you can find it because you're probably never going to find that at home. You better do whatever you can to get here because that's not out there. That's the call of the far country. 
That's the call of belonging somewhere other than God is you better get here. You're not ready now. You should make yourself ready. Maybe you could get here. But that's what we see the younger son chasing in, in reckless, the text says, or we could translate wild living. It's, it's wanting to be in that place without limits, without the need to wait. Where the real him and his desires could come out at any time, all the time. It's, it's telling him, you don't have that at home. You've got to, to monitor yourself a bit. You have to be reserved a bit. Come to that place where, where you're lacking that ability to just be a thousand percent unrestricted. That was the loud voice. Come and find yourself without limits. Which deceives him into thinking that he must not have found himself yet. The real him must not be there yet. It needs a place where it can be awakened. He better go out and find that or he's probably never going to find it at all. This is why he left. It's why we leave. We listen to these voices that make us afraid that we are lost. We are not yet whole. And there's some truth to that, but the way that they would call us to find it is deceptive. But we're afraid, and so we leave. Impulsively, we go out looking for what we think we now have to find. But what happens when we leave, if we think about our third consideration here, verses 14 and 16, show us what happens when we go out chasing something other than God for belonging. And the text points this out. Jesus tells part of this on purpose to point out to us as an, as an antidote to the allure of leaving it all following this deceitfulness and just having this unlimited life, the reality is that when we leave, when we chase these things down, we become what we are most afraid of already being, alone. That's what happens to the younger son by verse 16. He is just alone. Verse 14 says the younger son eventually spends it all, spends everything that his father had given to him by way of an inheritance. He gives everything he has to get this life that he wants, and eventually he runs out of money to have that life. And at the same time, what he couldn't foresee and plan for is that famine hits, right? Circumstances beyond his control change his world, which is always what happens in this life. I always think I see it clearly and perfectly, I can plan, and then out of nowhere, unforeseen circumstance changes his life, changes our lives, and he becomes in need in a place that is not his home. And no one helps him. That's what the text helps us see. He is completely alone. It's like he has never been there before and he doesn't belong at all. He has to go out, verse 15, and our translation says hire himself out, but, but really the Greek word like in there is more like pressed himself. He enjoined himself to someone. He tracked somebody down, dragged them, and said, you have to hire me. No one was helping him. No one was walking by and saying, hey, do you, do you need to work? Could you use some food? No, it's just people walking by, walking by, walking by. No one helps him. He has to force himself on these people that he's been living around to find the help that he needs. Whatever friends he had when he was buying are gone. 
He doesn't have friends anymore. And it shows that really he didn't have friends at all because the welcome or the belonging that he received, clearly if this is what happens when the chips are down and the consequences have come and everyone is struggling and he's not being helped, it means that the way that they received him and welcomed him was actually not about him. It was just about his money. They welcomed what he could do for them. And when he doesn't have anything more that he could do for them, he is no longer welcomed. Without his money, he is treated like a servant in verse 15. He's hired out as a servant. Even less than that, he's treated as lower than an animal because even though he's a servant, no one is willing to even feed him with the pods, the food that they would give the pigs. Say, no, no, that, that's for the pigs. You don't get that. He's treated not just as someone that they used to know, but as someone that they've never known and don't care to know. He is no good to them without his money, which is something he knew before he went there. But he meets face-to-face -face in a much different way. He can't have anything with them if he can't afford to buy it. And this is what happens with us in the far country of seeking belonging somewhere other than God. If you don't have what it takes, you cannot buy it. It is never given to you. You are never outside of belonging to God, seen as valuable exclusively just for being alive, just for being human without something to offer, without agreeing with a certain set of values, without having a certain kind of income, without having a certain kind of background, without having a certain kind of skin tone, without having a certain kind of, of social standing. You are never given these things outside of God. You have to buy them, and if you can't buy them, you don't get them. You don't belong without buying. It's heartbreaking. The son breaks down when he starts to experience this, and we'll talk about a little more of that next week. But the reality is he knew these rules, and at a deep level, we know these rules before we go there. That's what the loud voices told us, after all, isn't it? That you'd better work to get what you, have, what you don't have because no one is going to give it to you for free. We knew that going there. But we're often surprised and disappointed when no one gives us something even after we have paid a lot because we assume there will come a point when we actually stop paying. We'll just be accepted. We finally paid enough, but this parable shows us that time, apart from God, will not come. You will always have to pay in the far country. You will always have to pay to belong somewhere other than with God. Because the truth is, you can't buy your way into belonging. Your money, your effort, giving your time, giving your personality, giving your looks, whatever it might be, those are not things that are proving you are worth accepting. Those are you selling yourself to find acceptance. 
using what you have that someone might buy you as worthwhile, buy into the idea of you as worthwhile. It's not you that, you are, that someone is welcoming in. It's, it's your talent. It's your time. It's your money. The things that you can do for them, that's why so often we welcome each other in in this world, isn't it? Because you can do something for me. And when you can't do something for me, that's when I stop. That's when we're not friends anymore. It's about what you can buy. The church, I'm sure I need to confess and you need to confess as well that there are so many ways that we act like that in here. That we treat each other with a, I welcome you when you can buy. And I don't welcome you when you have nothing to give. To buy welcome is not to find it, though. To require someone to buy in welcome is not to give it. Because true welcome cannot be bought. It can only be given. And when we leave, we try to buy what can't be bought. And we end up actually in need, lacking alone. This is what happens when we go and leave the house of God to try and find belonging somewhere else. And that makes us wonder if the father who represents true welcome and wisdom in this parable knew that you can't find belonging somewhere else, why would he let this younger son go and do this? We assume that in the parable. You just start reading and you blaze through it and it says, Father, give me my share of the property. And he divided his property between them. It just moves right through it. But to get to our last point here in verse 12, you would expect the father to refuse. It's easy to just cruise right through that and say, okay, we're moving along. The story is happening, but it should be a full stop. Why would any parent honor this request that says, I want to kill you for your money, give me your money. Every parent would say, you better get out of my presence right now, right? You would expect him to shout at him, to cut him off financially, to do the opposite of what he wants, to never speak to him again. You would not expect him to just honor this request. But he does. He agrees shockingly to do what the son has asked, which is effectively allowing the younger son to kill him for his money. He lets him go look for belonging somewhere that he knows it can't be found. Why would the father of this parable do that? It's asking somewhat of a meta question of why would Jesus, represented as the father here, why would he let all these younger sons, those visibly seen as sinners and tax collectors, the outcasts of what was thought to be the moral order, why would he let them go? Why would he honor the request for them to spit in his face and walk away from him? Why not refuse like you and I might? And I'm not trying to get into a parenting lesson here. This is a parable. There are certain points at which you can't say, this now teaches me everything I need to know for a certain set, so let's not get too off the rails here. But the father seems to understand something. He seems to understand through this request that the younger son had never really been at home there. That if he's asking this kind of question, he doesn't know that he belongs. Staying here 
will not teach him that he belongs because he has always been here and he has never known somehow that he belongs. He wasn't keeping his son from being lost. He was acknowledging what was already true, that though he was at home, his son was already lost. And we'll talk a lot more when we get to the older son about that, how that's true, that you can be at home and yet still equally lost, but he is just acknowledging what is already true. And he's agreeing to pay a price that might actually open the door to seeing this lost son come home and find belonging in a real way for the first time. He knows he is already lost and he is willing to pay a price that would let him be found. He's being in this moment what the son is not, which is a spiritually mature person. He's, dis <coughs> excuse me, he's discerning what's true and what is best and not just reacting to the heat of this son's disrespect and rejection. He sees it, he understands it, and he is choosing something different. He's not just geared up and ratcheted up by his son. He has some space to be the spiritually mature person to say, what is right and good? What's really happening here and what do I choose? He's this steady presence in the parable all throughout. And that's certainly what Jesus is all throughout the Gospels. This steady presence of a person who can handle rejection and foolishness and disrespect and acting out and choose in the midst of all that when you and I are going crazy to find the right and just and peaceful path. In that he is showing his son who doesn't know him as a father right now what it looks like to be a father at all times. He shows him that he will not be moved out of the role of father because of what his son does. He's not going to start acting like one of the sons just because one of his sons is acting out. No matter what that son would do, he is always going to be the right and good, mature, stable father. And letting his son go, he is telling him, if you have to go, go. you need to spit in my face, spit. If you have to kill me, kill me. I'm still going to be your father. You can't make me hate you. You can't make me disown you. You can try to get rid of me, but in the end, I am still going to be your dad. And that's what Jesus shows us, most ultimately on the cross, a spiritual father for lost children who can say to us, if you need to go, go. If you need to, to go at the 11th hour, my closest friends, and need to abandon me, go. If you need to spit in my face, religious leaders who think you know better than God himself, then spit. If you need to beat me, shame me, and mock me, then do it. If you need to kill me, then kill me. I'm still going to be your savior. You cannot move me out of this role. 
There's nothing you can do, Jesus is saying on the cross, to make me stop being the God who will always welcome runaway lost sons and daughters. Go as far as you want to go. Do the worst that you can to me. I am still going to be this God for you. Because I believe, Jesus is saying, in younger sons coming home. Not just in them being lost. The cross shows us there is nothing we can do to make God stop being our spiritual father. So many times we think of God as this petulant person off in the distance, withholding all good things from us, never caring about us. Look at Jesus saying, if you need to spit in my face, spit in my face. If you need to hit me, hit me. If you need to shout at me, shout at me. If you need to kill me, kill me. I am still going to be your God. Can you find another God like that? Can you find another religion like that where you can go off the rails, where you have a God that can stand there and take it? I don't think you can. We see through the Father letting shockingly the younger son go, a God who can handle our worst self-deceived and self-destructive tendencies and not be overcome by them who's still going to be there when you realize, I need to come home. So I want to invite you to do that this week a little bit more practically through two things, to see the God who can handle our self-deceived, self-destructive wanderings by listening to the voices and comparing. So first, just what voices are you listening to? Where are they shaming you, accusing you, playing on your fears? We just start get to, we get used to the background noise. It's almost like a white noise in our soul of people, of voices sort of telling us, you're not good enough. You better keep working. You better work a little later today. You better study a little harder. You better be a little nicer. And not that we ought not to strive to grow and to do these things, but it's telling us that if you don't do these things, you're not good enough. Where are you listening to those voices? Where might we need to get off the treadmill of anxiety and just pause and ask, is that really true? Will I really not belong if I don't have those things? And do I want to belong in a place like that? Do I want to belong in a place where if I don't perform, I get nothing? Is that really where I want to be? Listen to the voices and just start to ask, is that really true? Invite, take the risk to invite someone that you know to share just some of what you think about sometimes. That this is what I'm afraid of or that I feel like I have to always do these things and invite them to respond to that. To help you see the God who is still your father, who is unmoved, even if you run away chasing these things. So let's take some time and pause with those things as they come up in our lives this week. And when we do, let's compare 
those voices with the picture that we have of the Father in this parable. Compare the voices that say, you will not belong unless you do this for me, with someone who has the confidence to let you go and isn't going to stop being there when you recognize that I can't pay out there. How does that picture line up with the picture in your head? Is what this thing is promising me or asking of me, is it going to be there anymore when I can't pay? And what does that look like compared to God? Who was always there when I couldn't pay and who always will be. Let this comparison readjust our hearts to listening to the voice of God, to, to instead start thinking, what am I maybe already overlooking that I have with God? The younger son was certainly overlooking a lot. He starts to realize that, and we'll talk about that next week, that there were a ton of things that he had already been missing that he didn't see. What are you overlooking? Maybe be thankful this week in that comparison. Let that lead you to gratitude for some things that you already have in God. Gratitude is a powerful antidote to those voices that say you aren't enough and you don't have enough. I get to say, thank you, God, that you have given me this. Let that comparison lead to gratitude amidst those frightening, threatening voices that tell us to leave home. Let's look at this Father and remember that with Jesus, just by faith and grace, you are home. Let's pray. We'd like to leave just a moment or two for you to reflect, to talk to God in your heart about some of these things, to maybe thank Him for being there for you no matter what. Or to confess the ways that that you have wanted something else, that you have rejected Him. Or to ask Him to just help you to get to that place where you can hear that still, small voice to get to that quiet place where you do hear the voice of God that speaks approval and unconditional love over you. Let's pray. God, thank you that you bring us home, that you can take it, that you will always be there. Would you be there for us this week? In your name we pray, amen.